Welcome to The Razor's Edge, where vision, technology, business, and strategy come together. This podcast series examines IT's new way to provide world-class experiences and is brought to you by CIO.com in partnership with HP. In this series, HP's technology experts will provide you with unique insights into the challenges associated with digital transformation and how innovative cloud-based services, solutions, and software can help you plan and prepare for what lies ahead. And now your host, Leif Olson, Distinguished Technologist with HP. Hello, and welcome back to The Razor's Edge, where vision, technology, business, and strategy come together. With me today are my usual cast of co-hosts, Bruce Michelson, the owner of Closed Loop LLC, Jeff Malik, the Lifecycle SME at HP, Cody Gerhardt, a distinguished technologist and a chief technologist at HP, and I'm Leif Olson, your host, also with HP. On today's show, we'll be talking about the great resignation and how it's affecting almost all, if not all, industries. This is something that has been affecting everyone and appeared to start showing itself about halfway through the pandemic when people had the ability to return to work. Bruce, why don't you kick us off here today and let's start with a description of the great resignation just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And then let's start with the restaurant service industries and kind of work our way around the world from there. Okay, very good. Thanks as always. And uh, hello to my uh, esteemed colleagues here. Um, I, I guess the best way to start is with an operational definition of what the Great Resignation is. It's an informal name given to the widespread trend of employees changing work, shifting works, leaving jobs early, and primarily during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, it's important to understand that the seeds for this transition were laid far in advance of the pandemic. I believe, and many other folks believe, that basically the pandemic accelerated this particular trend in the marketplace. It's important to note, uh, Leif and team, that historians are going to be discussing this for, for years after the pandemic is over. Um, because of all of the things that were leading up to it. Um, it simply, by accelerating it, it, it accentuated what used to be called the work-life balance. And because everybody was now working out of their home for an extended period of time, uh, there was an expectation that you may or may not be as productive. But what's happened is workers realize that there's a comfort level in working from home. And there's a work-life balance associated with it. And that now has become somewhat table stakes going forward with the new hybrid model, which is a criteria for uh, uh, evidently going to work for a specific employer, because now there's a new set of demands. It's also important to understand the demographics that are in place today and the role that those demographics play in the great resignation. So right now, uh, traditionalists are 2% of the population. People like myself who are baby boomers are still 25%. And we're declining at a rate of about 5% a year. Um, Gen Xers, which is where the majority of middle management uh, is, uh, is 33%. And millennials are now 35 and Gen Z uh, 5%. The important part is to understand that by 2025, it's estimated that Gen Z millennials are going to be approximately 70 to 75% of the overall workforce. So it's very important for employers and industries really to understand the dynamic 
of what the great resignation represents, particularly given the fact that we're in an era with 3.8% unemployment as of February, which confuses a lot of things around what's really driving the great resignation. Uh, A lot of rationale says it's about pay. A lot say it's about company culture. But what we do know is that the generations now in the workforce, specifically starting with the blue collar workers, um, what we're seeing is about every three years, there's gonna be a change in jobs. And we're now starting to see that three years start to be 18 months with 25 to 30% of millennials saying that they are constantly looking for the next position. So hopefully that positions uh, Leif exactly what the great recession, uh, great recession, the great resignation is all about and kind of positions various elements of it. So I'll throw it back to you for the, for the next step in the process. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you highlighted some really good features there. The one that I think stands out the most to me that a lot of people realized during the lockdowns and things were uh, that family work-life balance. You look at the millennials themselves, which are now a major contributor to the workforce. They're all at right around the, the proper age, I guess proper is not really the correct term, but um the the age where they will start to have families and really value that time with the family. It's something that previous generations hadn't often experienced because there really wasn't a lot of working from home. I know I personally have been working from home in some capacity since about 2005. And if I was told to go back to an office every day, I would also be looking for a new job. Um, so it, it's just it becomes something that you start to enjoy is that balance of work and life. So it is really nice to have, and it's, it's a good call out there. Um, I do also want to ask, you know, in general, general question for whoever wants to chime in on this, um, because during the lockdowns, there were quite a few layoffs of different employees and things, and we've had problems since lockdowns have let up uh, to find those new employees and get them back on the job. A lot of it has to do with trust. Where do the employees find their trust in their employers again? And how do we get that back so that they feel that they're secure in those jobs as they go and get them again? Well, the problem there is that we've seen this broken trust, right? This hospitality is a place and even, you know, quick service food. Those are the areas where trust was broken because folks had to shut down, reduce hours or, you know, completely close down because of the pandemic, they laid off workers. And workers said, hey, you, you, I've been taking care of you for years. Suddenly things get rough and then you turn your back on me. I'm going to go. And I'm going to go switch industries. I'm going to go look at a different situation. So I think that's part of what we're seeing is this vacuum as people change from industry to industry. And some folks are really struggling. Retail is one of those. Yeah. And uh, Jeff, we had just talked about this just prior to starting um, things about housing and ownership of their property and where people live and different expenses that they carry forward. There's also a different dynamic that we're seeing now around people living at home with families in these multi-generational houses. You want to kind of cover some of that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. What we're seeing, and, and Bruce, you and I were talking about this specifically this morning, is that even in the millennial generations and even Gen Z, their expectation is to constantly be looking for another job, potentially shifting every six to 12 months. And I think one of the enablers there is that we have multi-generational households. People are living at home with mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or extended households where they have a cushion. They don't have a financial obligation that they have to fulfill. So it allows them that that breath or that ability to go and look at other careers and frankly, take their time and be picky. 
And when they do that, they're actually using different criteria than other generations have used in the past. Namely, they're looking at what the balances of expectations and you touched on it. It's not just what the pay looks like, it's the benefits, it's the flexibility, it's the mobility. It's a whole range of things that people are considering as they move from one role to the next. Yeah, good, good feedback on that. So um, looking at different uh, industries, Pay seems to be one of the the big jumps that seems to occur uh, when people are shifting jobs right now. It seems to be the the ripe time if you're trying to hire to offer new incentives to gather some of those employees that had previously been out of reach. Um, let's talk a little bit about that, Cody. Do you want to kind of jump in and talk about the the average pay nationally, at least in the United States, uh, and how it's affecting the hiring process and maybe appealing to new workers? Sure, like it, you know, so that you know, the average across the United States, you know, is just above the the federal guidelines, right? Um, Seven dollars and twenty five cents, and and so when you when you look at that, right, pay, you know, pay, and it goes back to what um, everyone's been saying is that livelihood matters, right? With without uh, relative compensation, you know, you can't really move up and, and create a family, own a house, and do things of like that, and so you know, pay is at the highest importance um, when it comes to those things. And, you know, the, the great resignation is a, is a large part of that, especially in the service industry where, you know, um, probably for the historical part of time, there was a lot of underpay. And now that, you know, those jobs now, because things are coming back as the bringing those employees back, pay becomes a very critical, critical point to that. Um, what I like to highlight is when you look at the service industry in general, it, it's not always just about pay. Um, sometimes it, it is the the culture and climate in which the workforce is as well, right? And so there have definitely been service industries that really haven't missed a beat as even part of the pandemic because they created a culture that made the employee outside of pay, right, feel relevant, feel accomplished, right, and, and really enjoy going to work. And I think that's also a, a big part of this great resignation is that, you know, um, you know, individuals want want jobs that um, meet their needs, uh, including the compensation part. Yeah, good call out. So um, I, I think it, it's important to address the the kind of middle of the road worker that often gets forgotten. And that is what's typically been classified as the blue collar worker, those trade workers, people who didn't necessarily choose the normal college route, but have real opportunities right now because they're in extremely high demand. And the great resignation has offered opportunities for them to start their own businesses in things like plumbing, auto repair, uh, electronics, and things like that on their own. Um, if we could, let's, let's kind of address some of that. Bruce, you want to chime in a little bit on kind of those unheard of industries out there and how they're starting to take advantage of this. Sure. There, there's a couple of interesting dynamics that are out in the marketplace too, that directly feed into that. First, what, what's happening and what we hear from a lot of uh, research studies that are out there is there's a difference between a career and a job. And when an employee starts to think of his employer just as a job and not as a career, it makes it very, very simple to change employers. Why? Because the criteria is either benefits, job, and all of a sudden longevity doesn't mean that much with a certain employer. Um, I use the uh, kind of equips in my uh, appropriate incumbent behavior methodology that uh, y'all are familiar with, it says the grass looks greener on the other side, and sometimes it might have a swimming pool, jacuzzi, and a snack bar. <laughs> and the challenge always comes in when you start to look at an alternative employer, 
Um, if you're not the incumbent provider, you can talk about your company in glowing terms. And what's happened is, I think, for a lot of end users and, and a lot of the tradespeople and craftspeople, they said, you know, I've seen this uh, song before, so I'm going to go work for myself a little bit. And we've seen in, a, in our white paper, one of the things that we indicate in it, wouldn't it be interesting if the great resignation is actually becoming an incubator for a lot of entrepreneurial activity into our economy right now? And it does appear that that is, in fact, uh, occurring. Yeah, I agree. I, I've seen a lot of pop-ups of new businesses just changing the way that uh, people work. Um, you know, the standalone consulting business is starting to really take off. People uh, getting into industries that were used to be just owned by large corporations, the small craft industries, the do-it-yourself yeah. stuff, the Etsy's of the world, those types of things. Uh, they're really taking off. And people have taken that time on during COVID to take advantage of that and really build up and maybe not have to ever go back to an office again. Yeah, like I agree with that. I, I, I completely agree, you know, that what we sometimes coin the side hustle, right, has become yeah. the normal the normal hustle, right? And I think a lot of it is because, you know, there's a couple of things that I think employees that are creating those, their own opportunity we're looking for, right? And one's flexibility. And so if you can create your own hustle, right, and it provides the flexibility for your life, it also allows you to be creative in something you're passionate in. So I completely agree that the, the, the side hustle is becoming the new career and sometimes the new company. Yeah, it really well, is. Go I ahead. think they took time during the, the pandemic to sharpen old skills or, or learn new skills as well. And there were so many resources available, whether it was you know online or the library or some other way to, to go and do something different. And people are exploring that now. And it's, it's manifesting in this small business explosion we're going to see. It's always fascinating when you ask folks what they like. Sometimes people have to give pause and go, well, let me think about that one for a second. But if you ask an employer, an employee, the question, what don't you like? You'll find out very quickly. Yeah, and it's a long list. <laughs> yeah, it usually is not just a long list, but it's endless list, it seems at times. So I think for those who are listening on the podcast, one of the messages I would give is transparency by the employer has become table stakes. It's extraordinarily important that your employee employees understand what your plans for them are, how valued they are, the importance they are to the organization. Because all the information out there suggests that when you lose that confidence, that's when you commence the job search. I, I agree, Bruce. I think, you know, I think the sum of what you just said is that employees want meaningful purpose, right? And I think that 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 that, that circles everything you just mentioned is that meaningful yeah. purpose, you know, makes them feel good at work. They feel like the compensation they're getting is valid at work. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they go home and they and they feel like they've accomplished something. Um, and I think that's that's a big uh, attribute to the great resignation. Yeah. So I, I think that actually something you just called out, Cody, this this keeping people in on why their job is important is something that you know, I've talked to a few different companies over the years about that. No matter where you are in the company, you need to understand what role your plays in the overall success. And this has to be communicated from the top down to show the value to every employee and what they mean to that company. It could be the person moving a box on the dock to the person creating the intellectual property behind whatever good it is that that company makes. They all have a major part to play and you need to show them consistently how important they are in this process. Yeah. And I'll jump in with, with another comment that just really, really subsidizes the point that you just made. 
is uh, think about all the companies and probably some even on this podcast had to go through this. You, you furloughed employees. And imagine the emotional toll it takes on an employee if you're furloughed, even if it's because I don't have the volume to justify retaining your job or position within the organization. Imagine the emotional toll that that makes. Then when the economy starts to come back, as an employer, we shouldn't wonder why our former employees who are on furlough um, are, are not interested in returning to that position, not the position within your company, don't personalize it, but the idea that their job wasn't important enough to sustain a downturn in business. From an emotional standpoint, that's a lot to deal with, is it not, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, Bruce, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, that mindset now becomes I, I'm looking at jobs or, you know, areas to get new expertise that on paper are maybe more recession proof, right? Companies yeah. that uh, grew or strive during the the kind of downturn in that in that time. And I, I completely agree with that. I mean, there's a there's a major shift into, you know, I got to protect myself now um, as part of the work I do. Yeah. In the white paper, we make a comment. We say you say furlough, I say layoff. Yeah, that's how the employees looked at it. Yo, no, absolutely. I think the, the rhetoric of, hey, they are, our employees are our most our important asset really wore thin. And people saw yeah. through that. So that broke the trust, that broke the loyalty that you talked about earlier. And now they're looking to either sharpen their skills and go out on their own or finding someone else but that has the promise of appreciation, flexibility, and aligned values. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Jeff. I, I think we need to highlight that, you know, we're not using the term, they're not quitting, right? They're moving, right? I think that's a big thing is that some of the, so the definition of great organization isn't necessarily they're, they're quitting the job completely. They're just, they may be moving to a new organization for the same job, right? For everything you just mentioned, all the other uh, things that make the job great. Yep. So I think that this is actually a good a good time to insert that we are not actually recommending that people leave their jobs. Um, <laughs> you know, just just got to throw this out there because you know we're talking about all this doom and gloom and perception of the employee on the employer and that type of stuff. But we're actually not trying to say go look for a new job. It's the time. But this is an employee market right now, so you have to just make sure that you are taking care of your people. Um, so let's go ahead and move into the white collar jobs and kind of how the impact of IT starts to look at uh, as a part of this as well in retaining or drawing in new employees. Um, the types of devices, the personas that match each of those employees' skills and job classifications. What are some of those things, Bruce, and we'll start with you on this, um, that are likely attractants to new employees to hopefully get them to stay long-term as well. Well, it's, it's funny you should say that. Uh, we've all had conversations uh, around modern management, uh, the new hybrid model, how it gets supported, and the impact it could have on recruiting, attracting, retaining top talent. So the conclusion you got to draw first off is, why did we invest as an IT industry significant time, resource, dollars, and collaboration? And the reason is we wanted our employees to be able to communicate remotely to each other. Uh, Jeff and I, in a series of uh, in interviews, uh, what we found uh, is one person said, look, I'm a global company. I am always remote to my, to my teammates. So we're entering into an area where remote work, working from home, and this hybrid model is morphing into something that we didn't anticipate pre-pandemic. And again, all the seeds were there because uh, the millennials, for example, have, have said in research 
that sometime in their career, and this is like 2018, so it was definitely pre-pandemic, they said, at least one time in my career, I want to be able to work totally out of the home, totally, totally work from home. And it's funny that the acceleration of that uh, enabled it. And now all of us who are in the IT industry are fully able. I mean, think about what happened during the pandemic within a matter of weeks we were able to take this large team that worked in a large corporate office space and get them set up, deployed, and effectively and productively working from home. Yeah, definitely. IT deserves a lot of credit for that, um, as does finance for being able to figure out how to create the budget for this. Um, IT kind of had a pretty free spend in general. Uh, I'm sure there's listeners out there that say, my company definitely did not have a free spend. But in general, people bought equipment that they never thought they were going to buy before. Um, And I think this is actually a good point to touch on the difference between uh, the need for mobility versus the need for fixed assets. Um, As we think about, you know, do you need a notebook or a desktop? If someone's going to be at home all the time and they're not going to be coming back to and from work, maybe a desktop is a better choice for that type of a worker. But again, base it on the persona of the worker, not just based on where you think they might happen to be working today. Yeah, we're starting to see a little bit of that, right? In terms of just the sales units going out the door, when we look at the quarterly numbers that come through in the news around market share, desktops have made a little bit of resurgence. And that thinking right down that path line is saying, hey, look, you're going to be at home, use a desktop. There's no need for you to really run from the couch to the whatever, uh, the sunroom or I don't I don't know. I'm here in my basement office as I say it, so I'm sort of riffing on that piece. <laughs> You're just jealous so you don't have any sun today, Jeff. That's right. But people are rethinking how they're actually implementing this work from home scenario. It's going to be very different. So we've got to continually look at what we're doing. And, and Bruce and CLLP, you call it continuous process improvement. It's an important piece because honestly, I have to say, I don't think the great resignation has hit white collar as hard as it's going to. It's going to get worse from here. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Yeah, I, th- I think we're standing on the edge of, of watching. Uh, I won't call it a grand exodus because I don't think I don't want to be that dramatic. But I think what you're really seeing right now is because we're working from home, we have a lot more opportunity to figure out who we want to work for. And employees are now looking at the culture, the IT footprint. Can they can they give me the tools that I need to be able to effectively be productive at home? And do I have the flexibility to to work when I, when I want to and let my manager learn how to manage my output as opposed to manage me? I think we're seeing a not so subtle shift in all of those. Yeah, I agree, Bruce. I think the you know the 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 old term was the company wanted loyalty from the employee. I think it's now reversed. The employee wants loyalty from the company, right? Yeah. And that's all of that. That's you know the things like tuition reimbursement, uh, flexibility at work, better tools and processes to make life easier, right? Um, so I think they're looking for that that piece of loyalty that makes them feel uh, a bigger part of the organization in general. Yeah, you just brought up the tools part there, Cody, and I want to I want to kind of highlight that for a minute because I think this is something that does drive people out of their jobs is not having the right tools to perform their jobs successfully, so they feel that they look bad when their business unit, their function, whatever it happens to be, does not appear to be as successful as it could had they had the right tools. So, and I'm sure every company out there can look internally and go, yeah, I don't have the right tools for X process and my stuff is broken in this way. Um, Bruce referred to it earlier. The grass is always greener. That hot tub that you're seeing over there may be a better set of tools, but I bet with that, that hot tub over there, there are some other things that you're seeing in rusting pipes under that hot tub. So, um, 
Tools may not be the best reason to leave, but they are a great reason to improve your own internal tools and processes to retain. Well, that end of track too, that's the piece is, you know, there are two sides to the story. If people are resigning somewhere, they're going to have to work regardless of they're living from home or they're filthy rich because they scratched a lottery ticket or whatnot, they're going to have to find a job. The, the role that, that we together as a, as a community have to do is to make retention easier, to make recruitment easier and more attractive. So we've got to build up a promise, but then deliver on it. This is what we're going to do. Flexible hours. Yes. Cool device. Yes. The right tools for the job. Yes. Managing to outcomes, not just counting the keystrokes or the number of calls or whatever little legacy metric that you've had in the past. We all have to shift. We've got to learn new skills in order to to survive and thrive going forward. Yeah, I, I agree, Jeff. I mean, you know, as humans, we we tend to to like certain brands for certain reasons, right? And I think that goes on the work because it's that whole thing. You 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 go down this particular road because it you know it works well. You know how to use it. It's seamless. It makes your life easier. And I think that's the same aspect in the employment world now too. Is you kind of want all of those same things to to feel easy, right? But also feel accomplished, um, completely. I was just pleased that you just referred to me as human. That's the first time. This is great. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank we, you for that. We can edit that out. Hold on. Yeah, we, we can. Probably we can will. That. We probably will. Let's not build up Bruce's ego too much. So uh, there, there is one other piece of this as far as uh, attracting new talent when you're trying to cherry pick from those other companies. Uh, there's a, a feature out there called unlimited vacation. Um I've seen it used as a mechanism to attract employees to business, but I've spoken to a bunch of people uh, from different companies who have this opportunity for unlimited vacation. And every one of them, after being there for about six months and trying to take that vacation, hate the idea because it forces this peer pressure or guilt feeling around trying to take vacation because it's unlimited. There's also no backfill, nobody to pick up where you leave off if you go on vacation. So is there a better way of addressing or attracting based on compensation for time and time off and things than this concept of unlimited vacation, which actually seems to just benefit the business and not the employee? Yeah, if they offered unlimited pancakes, that might be a different score. Yes, absolutely. Or burgers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Be nice, guys. Be nice. But an attractive headline. And that's what we talk about being authentic and, and respectful to the to the to the workforce is that you've got to be respective and authentic. So if you're going to be uh, unlimited, people are going to look at it with the hairy eyeball that says, I'm not sure about that. And then there's a downside. So it may not be achieving what people intended to achieve. And you're saying that you're seeing studies that it's not. It's it's not saying, hey, people, this is you know the, the, the best job in the world. It's saying that you come to work here and all your peers are going to be off. So you're going to have double and triple workload while they think they are you know, frolicking on a beach. Right, right. But on the books, it looks great because you clear the books every year. You no longer need to bank that money and hang on to it because someone in California has six weeks on the books. Yeah, I agree with you, Leif. I mean, vacation shouldn't be stressful, right? I mean, it's there for you for the individual to disconnect, right? And the fear of taking vacation is is a loss, right? The 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 part of the role of vacation is you need to disconnect from the job and step away and come back refreshed. And you know, you don't want to put that pressure that just to even think about taking it puts a added stress on the employee. There's another aspect of it too, is um, if, if the company is willing to give me unlimited vacation, the first thing that goes through my mind, because I'm professionally paranoid, is if I took two months, that means they don't need me for two months. 
And then again, you get into that whole discussion that Jeff and Cody alluded to earlier is how valuable am I then to the company if they're willing to jettison me and let me go off for an extended period of time? So one of the challenges that employers have is in terms of attracting new talent, they have to be extraordinarily transparent and there has to be detail to back up the overall picture that they're trying to paint. Otherwise, when they can't deliver on the promise, the the expectations are not met, people will continue to look elsewhere. Yep, yep, definitely. All right, so looking forward, um, in the future, at some point, people will start to settle down, people will pick up the new jobs that they want, and we'll probably see a decline in the number of people jumping from this ship to that ship. Um, and the pendulum is going to start to swing the other way. Companies are going to have to start looking to see who they have just paid these really high salaries to to attract them because they couldn't find people before. And then they're going to start looking to see who are the valuable employees at these higher wages and who are not quite what they thought they were. How are those things going to be addressed in the future so that companies can start to control costs and not have to raise their prices so much that they alienate their customers? I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I don't think many people see that road in the immediate future. For me, that is a couple of years off. I think this is going to just build momentum from where we are. People won't shift. This is not a, a fad. I think this is the way things are going to happen. They're going to continue to go down the path. So, so in your opinion, then we're going to start to see the norm become people, just like you mentioned earlier with the millennials, uh, shifting jobs more regularly, that that will be kind of the normal behavior then? I, I think it's going to be very fluid mobility in the job market. I think it's going to be incumbent on the, on the organizations and the, the employers to figure out what their retention and, and re attraction strategies are and really solidify somebody. So you can stand here. If you've got a really solid plan, you make good on the promise to the employees, you're not going to participate in it. And if you don't do that, if you continue to do things the way that they used to do them, you're going to wind up in a situation where you're going to be the victim of fluid mobility. And that's going to yeah. be the, the real term that they're going to use for great resignation. I mean, you know, there, there are there are things out that you can research where companies that are trying to tackle that same thing you just said is like, how do we keep, how do we prevent this? Right. And there's we're hearing things like stay interviews, right? Every four to six months where, you know, they're, they're, they're working with their employees and, and really trying to stay on top of the needs of the employee to prevent what you just mentioned. Right. Yeah. So I think it's an, it's an adaptation. I agree with you. This is a journey. Um, this wasn't a quick sprint to an end. This is a journey that's still got a long, long run ahead of it. Um, but I think it comes down more the employer finding much more agility in how they, you know, get feedback, listen, learn and adapt to to maybe at some point slow this down yeah i think there's going to be three things that are uh, potentially going to be addressing this remember before the pandemic hit what were we all talking about on all of our podcasts and papers and with customers we're talking about this gig economy and i think jeff is spot on i'm going to put a little different spin on it though i think employment is going to be seen as a gig not necessarily as a career and that's going to feed into the fluidity of it and I think from an employee standpoint, I think uh, you're going to see, you know, if I'm an employee at will, that means they, they being the employer could let me go anytime for any reason. So I think employees are going to start saying, you know what, I would very much like to have a minimum commitment from you that I will stay in your employee. And I think you're going to see a potential increase in, uh, particularly with the higher salary type discussion with the white collar. I think you're going to start seeing more employment contracts, very much like the gig workers would get. 
And I think all of those dynamics are going to play out over time. But in order to really attract the best and brightest and keep them on your team, uh, it's not on the employee to figure that out. It's going to be more on the people who are listening on the podcast here because the pressure is on the employer to address some of the things that are concerns to the installed base of employees and available base. All right. So as we start to come down to the final topic here, let's talk about uh, the impact of total compensation versus pay and how health insurance has historically affected the choice for employees on their potential employer and what things are now shifting uh, over time with ACA and things like that in place, Bruce. Well, I think the first part that I would probably flag is, uh, you know, I'll I'll go back to my uh, first job is benefits were as important to me as the salary that I was getting paid. Not that salary wasn't important. Let let me make that very clear. But the the irony of it is with uh, particularly for those who might be at a uh, at a lower pay level, the availability of health care through ACA, as an example, um, there may not be a benefit that is going to entice me to come to the company. So benefits have changed and benefits need to be looked at a total compensation package around making 401ks available with matching contributions. Healthcare is always going to be an issue, but there are alternatives now. And, you know, part of the example in some of the industries, they're changing what used to be full-time positions into part-time positions to avoid some of the fringe that might go along with full-time positions. So I think, Companies got to constantly reassess what is a benefit and, you know, put yourself in the employee's shoes, not our shoes as employers, and try to figure out what is value, because what's value to the employee may not be the same as what's value to the company. Yeah, Bruce, I agree. And I think one thing that we need to mention is that, you know, in, in the white collar world, that, that, that term total compensation is a, is a valid term, right, that we hear a lot not necessarily in the blue collar working world, right? You tend to hear hourly wage, right? It's kind of the way that those jobs are promoted. And I think I think that's one area that in the blue collar working world needs to change is that we gotta get to that total compensation methodology there as well, especially in the areas where you're seeing high turnover shift. Yeah, because that definitely does favor the temp worker versus the full-time worker in that situation. And different businesses have different philosophies on why they keep different types of workers. Not going to comment on whether that's positive or negative, but just keep that in mind as you look at keeping your employees. The benefits you offer, be them tangible or non-tangible in work-life balance, um, are definitely impacting factors as to whether or not we're going to see more of this great resignation behavior in the future or whether or not we can simply retain and do business better for longer. So with that, Jeff, any last thoughts from you? I think the key here is that employee employers have to think about how they are authentic and respect their employees to stay out of the, the, the wake of the great resignation. Yep. Good deal. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for uh, this conversation today. I think that uh, covered a lot of points, uh, some of them related directly to the IT groups and how they need to support these people. Others were just general employee uh, guidance and feedback based on research and stats that are out there that we've uh, pulled together. Uh, So don't forget to take a look at the white paper out there that uh, accompanies this podcast, and you get a lot more detail and hopefully some insights out of this conversation. 
So that's a wrap for this episode of The Razor's Edge on The Great Resignation. Join us again next time when we cover the topic of BYOD and CYOD in the workplace and whether or not it's feasible for companies on its second go-around, since for the most part, it failed miserably during the last attempts. But you'll have to tune in next time to see how that conversation goes. Thanks again for listening. And on behalf of Bruce, Cody, and Jeff, this is Leif signing off, and we'll talk to you on the next podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Razor's Edge podcast series, brought to you by CIO.com in partnership with HP. This podcast series is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or you can subscribe by going to CIO.com slash podcasts slash The Razor's Edge. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated, doing businesses foundry in association with our sponsor, HP.